right, God loves you, not just February 14th. God loves you every single day. And today, with just one verse from the Bible, I'm going to show you that God loves you sacrificially, God loves you unconditionally, God loves you forever. And when you grasp God's love for you, when you understand that, it demands a response from you. It demands a response. And your response, I believe, is your worship. You want to know how to worship God? It's your response to his love for you. Let's pray. Father, may this message sink into our hearts today. May it go way past just our thoughts. But may it just get into the depths of who we are. And may it just come, just may it, your Holy Spirit teach us so that we can know your love and that we can respond and worship you. This is about worshiping you, God. This is about seeking you with all our heart on this Valentine's Day. In Jesus' name, everyone said? When I tell you about conditional love, my dad had an Irish setter when I was a kid. An Irish setter is a big dog, and uh, can you guess what we named it? Rusty. It's an Irish setter, all right? It's either that or red, right? I mean, that's, the, that's what you name an Irish setter. Rusty liked to dig and escape the kennel that he was in. Rusty liked to tour the neighborhood, liked to get lost in the woods. Rusty caused my dad to lose that loving feeling. Rusty found a new home. <laughs> Sounds like a children's book, doesn't it? Rusty, <laughs> my dad's love for him, was conditional. He didn't really meet the needs that my dad had for a dog. And I don't remember Rusty being around that long. I love fishing, you know that. But let's face it, it's conditional. I love it because I catch fish. If I went out there day after day and didn't catch any fish, I would hate fishing, right? It's conditional. That's how love is. Why are there so many divorces today? Because love is conditional. If you don't meet the needs that I have, then I'm not going to stay with you. It's a conditional love. But do you know why our love is conditional? Do you know why that is? And the reason is, it's in our nature to love conditionally. It's in our nature. You see, we come from Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve sinned. So every human being born after them is born with a sinful nature. It's part of our nature to be selfish and to love others with conditions. It's not natural for us to love people unconditionally. Honestly, the only way you can love someone unconditionally, I believe, is if you have a supernatural love. And where does that come from? God. God loves you unconditionally. You need to know that this morning. You need to understand that God loves you unconditionally. The most memorized verse in the whole Bible, the most well-known verse, the verse that you see guys hold up in the end zone of sporting contests and such, has John, what is it? 316, and that's the one verse that we're covering today. It comes in four segments, and I'm going to break it down for you. The first segment is, up on the screen you'll see it, for God so loved the world. Now, have you ever just thought about those six words for a little bit? Why would God love this world? 
It's full of sinners, full of brokenness. Just look around. You see what's happening in our world. It's bad. Do we give God what he desires, what he wants? No. We're a bunch of idolaters. We love our idols. We worship our sports teams. We worship money. We worship everything but God. But God doesn't love us conditionally, right? He loves us unconditionally. Now, the question that I have is, why? Why does God love unconditionally? And the answer to that is, it's in his nature, which is not our nature, but it's his nature. John wrote a lot of letters when he was older in his age. He lived to be pretty old, so I call him Grandpa John. Grandpa John wrote 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. Let's look at chapter 4, verses 7, 8, and 9. The first two verses go together, verses 7 and 8. How do we know that it's God's nature to love? Well, verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, John writes, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, and then hold it right here, because God is love. You see that? God is love. That's his nature. He is love. It's in his nature to love. Then verse 9, it says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. God's love is unconditional because it's in his nature. And the only way that we can love unconditionally, the only way you can love someone unconditionally It says it right here. You must be born of God. You must have the Holy Spirit living in you. John 3.16 comes right after Jesus explaining to Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must have the Holy Spirit. When you have the Holy Spirit, now you can love unconditionally. Your nature can get supersized. It can become supernatural love. Right? It's not conditional. I remember when I first understood God's love for me. The first time it happened. It was back in 1999. I remember I was on a trip with a friend. And up until that point, I had not read the Bible. I'd gone to church for a little while. But it was in this moment that God showed me his love for the very first time. It was an unconditional love. It didn't matter all of the stuff I had done in the past, all the times I had messed up. He showed me, he loved me unconditionally. He forgave me, and he loved me. And that's all I knew. And I couldn't put it into words. I couldn't describe it. I just cried. I just didn't. I just, that's all I knew what to do. God loved me. Changed my life. I'm sure it's changed a lot of your lives as well when you know how much God loves you. He loves you unconditionally. Doesn't mean, it means he doesn't have to wait for you to meet his conditions anymore. He just loves you. And he initiates that love. Romans 5.8. Didn't you see that on the screen in that little video? Listen to the words of Romans 5.8. For God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. How many times have you heard someone that you invited to church say to you, oh, i got to clean my act up before I walk in that place? No, you don't. No, you don't. In fact, that would be... um, God would not like that if you did that. That's his job. That's why you come here. We come here to be encouraged, to be forgiven, to be built up. Right? That's why you come to church. Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Apply this to your own life. Life. Is there someone in your life right now that you're having a hard time loving? Could it be because you're trying to love them conditionally? Try supernatural love. Try loving them unconditionally with the love that God has given you. Now you understand, for God so loved the world. Next that he gave his only son. He gave his only son. Some of your translations, you've probably read it before. It says, he gave his only begotten son. You ever wonder what that means? Just sounds like bad English. He begotten some new shoes. (laughs) What? No, begotten means to be born, to be come into existence. The only begotten son. Personally, I would like the translation to be, he gave his one-of-a-kind son. That's the best translation that I can come up with. Right? That's the, um, uh, the MIV, Matt's uh, international version. Why did God give his one-of-a-kind son? Because God loves you sacrificially sacrificially. Everyone uses the word love in a lot of different ways. You ever notice that? We always say teens throw that word around a lot. Maybe you've thrown that word around a lot in in your dating experiences, right? We love, you know, have you ever said, oh, I love you, and it was a little premature? You might remember a time like that. But what does it mean to say, I love you? Uh, The Greek have uh, a few different words that they use um, that do a better job of sort of defining love. We just have one word. So when we say it, we're like, what do you mean by that? (laughs) Right? We have to define it a little bit. But the Greek have a few words. One of them is eros. Eros is where we get the word erotic love. That's the love that's the intimate love love between what's supposed to be just a husband and a wife. Then there's the word filio, the Greek word filio for love. It's where we get the word Philadelphia. It means brotherly love. Like King David and Jonathan had a filial love for one another, a brotherly love, a manly love, right? Agape is the one that this church is very familiar with because we have an agape feast, and uh, Chrissy's not here. I can't make fun of her. It's a uh, agape feast, not fest. It's a love feast. She mistakenly said love fest once, and that was uh, raised some eyebrows. We have love feasts 
once a year here at Life of Purpose in November. Actually, it's the, the Sunday before Thanksgiving, and we have it every year except on COVID year. Unfortunately, we didn't have it this time. But the agape feast is a, agape means love, sacrificial love. It's not a feeling, it's a choice, right? It's a choice that we make. It's uh, the love we saw in 1 Corinthians 13. By the way, when you read 1 Corinthians 13, you so much connect it with weddings, right? Because you hear it at weddings. But you know what? It's not written for a wedding. Paul wrote it to the church. He wrote it to us in our normal relationships. And he says when you have a relationship with someone, a friend, even a spouse, whatever, you have agape love for them. You love them. It's patient. You're kind. You don't have envy or boast. Love is not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It doesn't fly off the handle. It doesn't hold grudges. It doesn't rejoice, or it does not rejoice when someone messes up. Even though I can't help it when American Funniest Videos plays the people falling down. I can't help but laugh. I know you. But that's not what this is saying. When someone messes up in life, we don't rejoice at that. We rejoice instead with truth. And we forgive constantly and we don't look back. Love just keeps on going like the Energizer Bunny. It never ends. It's agape love. That whole passage in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13, is talking about agape love. This sacrificial love. The good Samaritan had agape love. That's the love we're to have. I'm told of a story uh, many uh, years ago. There was a man who worked as a um, drawbridge operator uh, for a railroad. The railroad would go over the Mississippi River. And his job was to raise the bridge so the boats could go under it. Um, He had an eight-year-old son. Uh, It was a time of the Great Depression. He often would bring his son to work with him. And this son would watch his dad pull this lever, and this monstrosity of a bridge would raise and lower based on his dad's ability to pull this lever. He was in awe of his father and his job. One day, the boat was coming through. He raised the bridge, and while the boat was going through, he took a walk with his son to... uh, tell some stories, and look at the banks of the Mississippi River. Well, while they were walking, he kind of got lost in the story, and he heard the train whistle from far away. And he realized the bridge was still up, and he had to race back to the control room to lower the bridge in time for the train to go through, to go over the bridge. Told his son to stay there, but when he took off running, he got into the control room, and realized his son had been trying to keep up. He fell underneath the bridge on the catwalk. If the bridge was lowered all the way, it would kill his son. But if he didn't lower the bridge, all the people on the train would die. So he was left with this awful decision to make. Do I save my son, or do I save all the people on the train? So with tears streaming down his face, he chose to save the people on the train. 
When the train, uh, when the bridge lowered and the train went over the tracks and he watched the people on the train go by, businessmen reading their newspapers, women sipping tea, children coloring in their books, he pounded on the glass, don't you know what I have done for you? I sacrificed my son so you could live. But they were unaware. If you feel the emotion in that story, then you grasp God's love for you because he sacrificed his only son so you could have life. That's John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God loves you sacrificially. His son Jesus died for you. We move on to the third Heart. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him. See, this is the part where God's love for you demands a response. There's a response that you must give when you recognize God loves you unconditionally, God loves you sacrificially. Where's your response? Whoever believes in him. Whoever believes in him. Pastor Kyle Eidelman wrote the book, called Not a Fan. I recommended it this year. Everyone should read it. Not a fan. It's a great book because it talks about not being a fan of Jesus, but being a follower of Jesus. In the book, he breaks down uh, Luke 9.23. You familiar with Luke 9.23? You might have heard it before. I'll put the first part of it up here for you because it pertains to this believing um, part of uh, John 3.16. Luke 9.23 says, Jesus speaking to anyone who wished to follow him, said, or be a part of of what he was about, said, if anyone would come after me, and he goes on to say, let him deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. Now, in this part, Pastor Kyle writes in chapter 9 about what does it mean to come after Jesus? What does it mean as a Christian to follow Jesus and to come after him? By the way, in the chapter before, uh, chapter 8, there's a white couch illustration that's awesome. If you've read the book, you know what I'm talking about. If not, I hope you'll read it. It's not a a long read, but it's a great uh, read. In chapter 9, he talks about coming after me. He says that Jesus uses this expression to come after me very similar to an expression that we would use in um, a man pursuing a woman uh, for love, the, the pursuit of love. We have movies that we love that illustrate a man pursuing a woman in love, movies like Titanic, Jerry Maguire, Notebook, and one of my favorites growing up, Say Anything. You might recall these movies, they're classics, The guy doesn't just show up and win the girl's heart, does he? No, he has got to overcome obstacles. He's got to throw caution to the wind. I mean, he's got to go the extra mile. He's got to um, do whatever he can for this great love. A love that goes down with the ship to save her, right? A love that prepares big speeches for her, but he had her at hello. A love that builds her dream house to win her back. And a love that 
holds up a boombox outside her window while In Your Eyes by Peter Gabriel plays. That was in Say Anything. Jesus says, this is the kind of love that God wants from you, a love that pursues him. That's the kind of love, just like he pursued you. First John 4, 19, it says, we love because he first loved us. We understand love because he teaches us this love. Are you pursuing God like a man on a mission? Are you pursuing God that way? Because that's what it means when John says, believe in him. To believe is to come after him. Believe is not your head knowledge. It's not that at all. To believe is to pursue God, to go after Jesus, to have faith, to trust, to commit to. Like James said, faith without action That's no faith at all. Faith without action, that's no faith at all. God loves you. That demands a response. And you don't believe because you say a prayer because you want to go to heaven. We've reduced that, unfortunately, in many churches today. That to believe in Jesus is to pray this prayer, and congratulations, you're now going to heaven. But when you read the gospel, You know it's so much more than that. To believe is to commit to following God, to follow Jesus, to to live it out, to have a lifestyle that produces fruit. John said this in chapter 15, verse 8, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Prove it. Can you prove you believe? You can look me right in the eye and say, Pastor Matt, I believe. And that's what I'll do. I'll laugh. Until I see the proof. Until I see the proof. And what is the proof? Let me see you follow Jesus. Let me see you go after him. Let me see you commit to his church. Let me see you um, love others faithfully, sacrificially. Let me see you serve. Let me see your giving records. That's the proof that you believe. That will convince me. God loves you. It demands a response. Jesus healed a blind man, one of many he healed. But in John chapter 9, it's recorded that when Jesus healed this blind man, the whole community was up in arms about this man who was blind for most of his life, and he became, he could see. And There was a confrontation with the religious leaders, and he got lippy with them, and they threw him out. Well, Jesus found him, and he confronted him, and he said, do you believe? In his words, John 9, 38, he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped Jesus as God. You see the difference? He didn't just pray a prayer. He didn't just show up for church. He worshiped Jesus as God. He committed to following Jesus. Because when you recognize God loves you, it demands a response. And by the way, the blind man's words, I once was blind, but now I see, literally struck a chord 
with John Newton in 1772. You know what John Newton did in 1772? He wrote a song. What's the name of that song? Amazing Grace. It comes from John chapter 9. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The last part of John 3.16 tells us that God loves you forever. Forever. John 10, verse 28. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. What can separate you from God's love? Romans 8 says nothing. Nothing can. Nothing will end his love for you. Have you ever heard someone say to their spouse, I'll love you to the day I die? Well, that's just not true. Because even though we won't be married in heaven, you will still love in heaven. Forever. Love doesn't end. It doesn't end. He loves you forever. What if you really mess up? What if you royally mess up? I'm not talking about a little lying, a little cussing, a little gossiping, a little spilling the tea. I'm talking about you totally mess up. Like, bad. Is God still going to love you? That's right. He will. He will forgive you. There's a story of a young man who led his father down in a terrible, terrible way. Got into a big disagreement with his father, left home. Didn't speak with his father. But he did correspond with his mother through letters. Went far away, but he would write to his mother, and his mother would write back. Over the years, he wanted to come home. His mother wanted him to come home, but he just didn't think his father would forgive him. So he stayed away. Finally, his mother wrote, please come home this Christmas. Please come back. He said, well, I would, but... I just would like to know if dad has forgiven me. If I knew that he forgave me, then I would certainly come home. So his mother wrote a letter and said, listen, get on a train. You know that tree that's by the railroad tracks by our house? I will tie a white rag on one of the limbs of that tree if your father forgives you. If you don't see a white rag, it's best that you probably don't get off the train and just keep going. He got on the train, traveling with a friend, got close to his house, was so anxious, so nervous, said, friend, could you just switch seats, sit in the window seat? I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what the tree looks like. When we get close to that tree, could you just tell me if there's a white rag tied on the limb? They got closer and closer, and the friend sitting, sitting in the window said, I, I, I see the tree. I see it. And he says, well, is, is there a white rag tied on any of the limbs? And he looked, and it was quiet for a moment, and he he turned and he looked at his friend and he said, friend, there's a white rag tied on every single limb of that tree. I think it's time to go home. You see, John 3.16 says, come home. I forgive you. I forgive you. And that's what you need to hear this morning, that God loves you. And nothing can separate you from that love. He loves you unconditionally. He loves you sacrificially. He wants you to come home. And so I give you this altar, I give you this time, as we sing this final song, that you would just surrender it all, come home, ask God for forgiveness, 
and he will forgive you. He will love you forever. That's the kind of love that we need. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we contemplate and think about what love you have for us, what great love you have for us, spoken so wonderfully in John 3.16, God, may we take this time to surrender to you, to come forward, to sit at our seat, just talk to you, ask you for forgiveness, receive it, for your love demands a response. May this be our time where we worship you, God. You are an awesome God, holy God, and you gave us your only son, that if we believe in him, we will have eternal life. In Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. Amen.